I was going to say, I missed you guys, but I want to be completely honest. <laughs> I, I thought of you all. That's a <laughs> Vacations were good. No, we, we did. We missed our time together with you all. It's one of those... Uh, I'm just glad I don't have any type of lie detector hooked up to me right now. Because I was going to say, I wish you were all there with us. But that also would be a little bit of a stretch. We had a, uh, a nice time vacation. Our son had bought us this uh, vacation for an anniversary present. And, uh, and then surprised us this year when he said, I'm going to go with you. Uh, and so we uh, got to enjoy his present, but it was good. He, he, was, he was fun to have along. Um, and we, had, we did enjoy the rest. It was very restful. Uh, Brent asked me before I started, he said, have you gotten older and wiser and not attempting to kill yourself uh, when you go on these endeavors anymore? I didn't attempt to kill myself. I just was nearly killed. Uh, those are two different things. And uh, and there were four consecutive days in which some form of really difficult pain was inflicted upon me through some act that happened during that day. I will save all of those for sermon examples in the future. Uh, so I I just I am amazed, and and the people going through it with me are also amazed at how. Unique that is. Just uh, that you think you're just going through your normal day, and then all of a sudden something happens, and it's like, oh, I hope I don't have to go to the hospital. Uh, but uh, the, um, uh, but anyway, all those injuries are healing, and uh, and the pain is subsided greatly. But we still enjoyed ourselves and had a good time. And um, and Kim, uh, she nothing happened to her, so that was a, that was a good thing. The um, uh, except for then yesterday, we were coming home, and uh, someone rear-ended Kim in the car. She was taking her mother, her aunt, her mother's 90th birthday. We were celebrating, and uh, we were coming home. She was coming home from that uh, that celebration, and was stopped at a stoplight, and an explorer smashed into the back of her car, and uh, and did significant amount of damage. I don't think anyone was hurt. That there were. Four people in the car. Three were complaining from soreness and difficulty. Uh, were, I think it just more like a little bit of whiplash or whatever. But her mom, her 90-year-old mother, was like, I'm good. She goes, I'm in there a lot worse than this. And she's, uh, I said, she's the toughest of the group. No wonder she's 90 years old. But anyway, it was, uh, but all is well. We've got that car at a shop somewhere in Kentucky. And uh, we had my daughter had driven her car, so we were able to come home together. So we're, we made it. And, uh, and here we are. I appreciate Randy for preaching for me next last week. We are in a series called The Gospel Connection. And I hope that you're kind of picking up as we're going through this that what we're trying to get us our minds around is everything that we are doing, whether it be at home, whether it be at church, whether it be in life groups, as we begin to form life groups, one of the things that is important especially when people start to get together and we get to this point, we're able to get back in each other's homes. And, and sometimes you, you just have to look and see, God, why are you allowing us this opportunity? To, why are you slowing everything down? And when, and when God obviously is slowing everything down, it's a, it's a great time to kind of take, take a moment and say, how do we do this right? What should we be doing? Take, take, a, take an account of our lives and how we're doing things and, and how things are coming together. One of the things that is so important as we talk about getting together as God's people and when we come back together again is keeping ourselves gospel-centered. And what that means is, is when we do have these gatherings together to meet, eat, and pray, is that we do that for the purpose of being gospel-centered, of making sure we are living the good news, that we know the good news ourselves, and are looking at how God is using us to communicate the gospel to a world who needs the gospel. Today, we are going to be looking at how that applies in, um, well, let's first look at Acts chapter 2, because this is the passage we've been in. Look at it again. Verse 37. Or, yes, that's right, verse 37. 
When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged him, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we want to pay attention to today. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed to the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So today, we're looking at the gospel in our Bible study. In our Bible study, where we come together and study God's word. First, we'll just understand how important it is to study God's word. And we'll look at what the word says about studying God's word. But when we get together to study God's word, understand, it is not just I don't, I don't know if you all used to do this here, but we used to give pens for if you have perfect attendance in Sunday school for the year. And if you were really, really good, and I was in the really good category, uh, you had a pen and had a little bracket, and you would hold, and like a, like a little each year you would get like a little thing that would hook onto the year before, and so they would just drape down your chest like a general. Uh, and so, uh, and so every year I would be very faithful to never miss. We never missed one because there's only, I don't know, 14 people that went to our church. And so, um, and there are five people in my family. My father was the Sunday school superintendent. I became the Sunday school superintendent when I was 16. Um, and because you have that decorated medal, I was, I was worthy of that position. Um, I remember, though, going to college and joined Campus Crusade. Our BSU wasn't very active, so Campus Crusade was the organization to be in. And so I joined Campus Crusade, and they invited me to go on a retreat. The retreat was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I said, I can't go on a retreat, because if I'm on the retreat, then I won't be in Sunday school. And I never miss Sunday school, ever, ever. And uh, I remember this struggle, and I remember the leader telling me, this might be a problem for you. You know, if you can't miss going home and going to church because you're going to the spiritual enrichment, this thing that's going to bring you closer to God, this thing that's going to help you in your own development and growth, to be a more faithful follower of Jesus Christ, to interact with these people, to learn how to share the gospel, all these different things that I would be, he said, just because you're trying to check off a box or to do something that's just for the purpose of being really legalistic, then you've lost your perspective. And, I, and so I, I did. I missed Sunday school to go on this retreat. And, and then I realized it had become a stronghold in my life. And of course, through the years, I've realized that there is no, you don't get to heaven and stand before God. And he's like, I'm going to let you into heaven simply because you were faithful to be there every single week. And, and then I learned even more that even just studying the Bible... Just to have Bible knowledge. You know, it's not like God's going to stand there and quiz you. It's not like a Bible trivia tournament in, in heaven where you get extra points and, and extra jewels in your crown because God's going to go, oh, look at all the Bible knowledge you have. How impressive that is. If you aren't studying his word, gospel-centered, meaning to know how you can be more like him and how you can take that good news of Jesus and share it with others, then you've lost your focus. You're just studying to study. That's what Pharisees did. I mean, that's, that's what Pharisees were accused of. That's what Pharisees did. They were just very knowledgeable. The scribes, the lawyers, the scribes, the Pharisees, all the people that seem like the bad people in the New Testament. That's what we become. 
when we just want to gain more and more Bible knowledge. Now, this is going to be something that is going to be tricky to get past today. But let me just... When Paul said to the Pharisees that I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees, I'm just going to say, I am I'm in the same... So when I say this to you, I'm, I'm in the same camp. I struggle with the same thing. And that is, we go to hear preaching and to go to Bible studies and so forth, sometimes just to learn more and more and more, thinking that's a positive thing. But really, you just need one hour a week. One one Bible study a week. Because it takes, because if you go to that one Bible study a week, one, just one, if you go to that one, it will take you the week to really digest what you learned in that Bible study and then learn how to apply what you've learned. Because what's happening is when you go to Bible study after Bible study after Bible study, you're, you're, you're eating it, but you're not really digesting it. It's almost like you're in the Roman times, they would eat a lot of food and then they would throw it up so they could eat more. And that's what church people have become with the word a lot. Is we just eat, eat it, and we like we have to go to a trench and throw it up so we can just eat more and get more in. And we're not really applying it, or it's not really changing our lives, not really transforming us. We're not really seeing how to transform other people's lives with it. We're just simply accumulating more and more and more. Now, now if you are in a in a system where you read and study the Bible on your own, and you go, and I hope you get to, I hope you can do this, and you go into the Word and you get into the Word each day, and you study some, and you take what you've learned that day, and then you apply that that day, and then each day it becomes just a routine. This is the way God means for it to be, to where you are reading His Word, He shows you what you need for that day, just like manna from heaven, and you take that and you live on that for that day, and then you wake up and you go back to His Word the next day and you get more for that day. And then when you meet together with other people and you study His Word, you learn and glean from what they have to say about particular things, and then you focus on learning and sharing those kind of things. Now, that's interactive, and that's the way really Bible study should be. That's our goal. That's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to the place where we are all studying the Word in groups once a week, and then on our own, reading it every day and learning from it. And then when we come together in groups, we have something to share. Not only do I have something to tell you, you have something to say, well, here's what I've gotten from the Word this week as well. And that's that's an awesome place to be. Look in 2 Timothy, and, and there's a reason. It's more important than you realize, because it's not just to say, not, some, not a box to check off, not just to say, hey, look what we did. There are actually very good reasons why we need to be coming together and studying the Word and being in it. And, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3... Paul is going to talk to Timothy about the importance of Bible study. And Paul's in prison. So this is, he's not mincing words here. He's not just saying, I'm getting ready to be beheaded for being faithful. And I want you to study the Bible so that you can be a Bible trivia master. He's not doing that. He's saying, you also are going to be tried. You also are going to wind up in prison. You also are going to be tested in your faith. And you need to be studying the Word. And uh, because difficult times are coming. Look in verse 10. He says, But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and suffering that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. You know those who taught you, and you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Jesus in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you, God, for how amazing and awesome you are and for your word, for sharing it with us. May we take it, use it, apply it today. Lord, give us your good wisdom, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
the most dangerous book on earth. That's what this is. It's the most dangerous book on earth. People accuse us of starting wars, destroying civilizations, for upsetting the entire planet. And they are correct. That is exactly what this book has done. It has destroyed civilizations. It has upended empires. It has brought down walls. It has been a revolutionary transformation of this planet. Over two billion people ascribe to the teachings of this book. Not all of them faithfully, but at least they identify with it, as opposed to other teachings like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. No other, no other belief system, no other religion, no matter how populous a nation, nothing has the impact that the Bible does. I remember when I was uh, pastoring in Oregon, I needed some additional work. The church couldn't afford to pay me full time. And I got this job doing hazmat training. Now, I not ever worked with hazardous materials, didn't know much about them, but I got the job because I was a teacher. I had teaching skills and, so, and communication skills. And so they, got, they hired me to train to teach these classes. So I had to learn about these. So we studied these books and all these different chemicals and so forth and what to do in situations when you're exposed to hazardous materials. And so we worked with uh, companies like Hewlett-Packard and Intel and, and places, uh, Hewlett-Packard, in case you're not knowing computer places, uh, I don't know if you remember the old Intel commercials where they wear the suits and have the little head helmet, you know, the full body suits or whatever. The reason they wear those suits is because you work with things like hydrofluoric acid and, high, uh, and, and uh, sulfuric acid and, and things that will, uh, the types of acid that when they get on your clothing, they don't just burn there, they burn through that and then burn through the next thing and then burn through the next thing and keep burning and burning and burning until they go all the way through you. Uh, bad stuff. And so when you're teaching people how to deal with it, the it's important. And so you don't skip paragraphs and you don't pass over sections and say, well, let's not worry about what this has to say. Because each of the things you're saying in these classes is like, this will save your life. And as God would have it, um, the first, I, they said, hey, you need to actually go and work with a crew uh, to actually know how all this stuff works. I said, great. So I went on site with the crew, and they had never had an accident in the 10 years of this company I was working for until that day, my first day. That's always good, isn't it? Uh, now, I wasn't part of the accident. Well, I was, I was there, but I didn't cause the accident. Let me put that. But there was an accident, and so we actually had to employ and do all the things that we teach. So for me, I was like, oh, this is cool. You know, this is great because I'm actually going to see how this, uh, this stuff works. They weren't so excited about it. Uh, but um, but it did. But uh, one, there was a pressure valve that went off. It exploded. High, high, uh, sulfuric acid spewed out, went down, and a guy was on the other side of the room. He had a, a shield on. It went over the ceiling and came down on his head and went behind, rolled down into his eyes behind the shield. So he used the eye wash and had all these different things and everybody panicked and so forth. But the team knew what to do. Everybody knew what to do. Why? Because we didn't just teach it. We didn't just read it. We understood it. We knew how to apply it. And this is what Bible study is supposed to be. It is supposed to be when we understand the nature of the world we are in, that it is not, it's not just a book that is radically transformed. This book tells us this is how we survive in this world. And when you read it, and so, so you could say that we, um, this hazmat crew, is talking about things that are um, upsetting. I mean, look at the world we live in today. Look at all the things that are happening. We get mad at people who are telling us to put on masks or take off masks. We get mad at people who are putting these rules in place. It's almost as though if these people would stop talking, the virus would go away. But just because we're not talking about it, just because it's not affecting you, doesn't mean it's not there and it doesn't affect anyone. When we studied CPR, when we were doing uh, studied CPR, many different things in life. When you're studying CPR and you've never had to do CPR on anybody, you think, what is the point? What's, why is this even important? Why is it important to even pay attention and so forth? 
Well, when someone needs CPR, that's when you really want to know what that is. Now, the CPR training doesn't cause people to have heart attacks. The CPR training doesn't make people uh, put you in bad situations. It just prepares you if those situations occur. And the Bible hasn't created all the problems. It just identifies the problem. This is the way the Word teaches us, what God teaches us himself. He says, I wasn't aware of my sin without the law. But when I read it, I'm aware of it. If you're doing any of the Bible reading, we've been going back to when King Josiah had them, when they found the Bible and they started reading from the law, he all of a sudden became aware, this is why we're going through what we're going through. He tore his clothes. Why did he tear his clothes? Because that's what the Bible told him to do, was to tear his clothes. So he tore his clothes. And then they, they realized, wait a second, okay, we're being disobedient to God. And sometimes you don't even know you're being disobedient. Sometimes you don't even know something's wrong. We look at the world and say, the world is so sinful and so wrong and so bad. But we never stop to think, maybe they don't even realize they are. Because Without proclaiming the word, without sharing what the Bible actually says. Sometimes people are just ignorant of the fact they're being disobedient to God. Sometimes they think they're doing what is right. And what may be so clear to us is not necessarily clear to everybody. Somebody may be thinking they're handling a situation exactly the way they're supposed to be handling a situation. But they're not. And the word teaches us this. So when we share it, people it's people's lives are going to be changed. And that's why it's dangerous. It really will all of a sudden expose the evil that's in your home. It will expose the evil that's in your workplace. It will expose the evil that's in our church. And those things make us uncomfortable. I've pastored several churches and there are some churches I've pastored where we brought out the word and it sounds crazy that you would say that but but in a lot of churches I, I've gone on to the people before me just because I gave an invitation and we preached you know hellfire brimstone or whatever and then gave an invitation every week as though everybody in the congregation was lost and you got 45 people in a room and all of them were saved since 1945 and yet we still preach the same message over and over again and then I come and I actually begin to teach what the Word says. And all of a sudden you, you realize, oh, there's been embezzlement issues, and there's been infidelity, and there's been all these other things. And we're beginning to identify sin within the church. And they were like, no, 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 no. We know those things are there. We don't talk about those things. We don't discuss those things. We don't, talk, we don't bring those subjects up or whatever. And we sweep all that under. And I'm very polite. But it's like, well, one of two things is going to happen here. Either we're going to deal with it or God's going to move us on to be with people who are going to deal with it. And well, we're not there, so obviously God moved us on. And, and they still struggle with those sins. When people, when people read the word, all of a sudden you, you either have to deal with it or you have to silence it. And that's what you and I face in every Bible study we go to. So if you're going to Bible studies and it's not bringing up things that need to be dealt with, if you're not reading the Word and go, oh my goodness, we've, and you're tearing your clothes basically and saying, we need to deal with this. We are not right before God and this is how do we get right before God. It should have that effect on us. Always it should have that effect on us. Either you're not reading the right passages <laughs> or, you're, or you're just kind of pushing aside and not letting it break through. It's supposed to have that effect on us. That's why it's a dangerous book. Look at what he says. In verse 10, Paul says this. He says, but you have followed my teaching. Look what he adds to teaching. This all should be encompassed in a Bible study. Teaching, conduct. You followed my conduct. You followed my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, and endurance along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. That's the way 
persecutions to work, when difficult times come. And that was, you know, I said we had four days in which I had either bled or had some type of something that had to be medicinally treated while we were on vacation. When those difficult things come, it's not the difficulty, it's the deliverance of the difficulty. It was the, you know, when Kim's in a car wreck, it's not the car wreck and they're going, oh my goodness, look at all the damage to the car. It's the fact that God preserved all the people in the car. And then we're, and everything was still, that we're here today and that we still move on and life moves on. You look at God's hand protecting you and seeing, and that's, that's what you should be seeing. Not the persecution in itself, but God's deliverance in them. And he says in verse 12, he says, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, this is where it gets tough. Let me just give you the point, and then I'm going to tell you something about a guy named Brother Andrew. Life depends on your understanding God's word and following it. Your ability to make it through difficult times successfully, to, to maintain an abundant life that Christ died for you to have. Your ability to do that depends on you knowing God's word and following God's word. People who do not know God's word and are not following God's word may be existing, but they are not living in the conduct, the purpose, the faith, the patience, the love, the endurance, and are able to go through persecutions in a way that brings glory to God and to see God's delivering hand. They're not able to do that. They're not able to bring, basically to bring glory to God through their life if you are not knowing his word and following it. You're just existing. You're just going through the motions. Your life, I don't, I hate to say it bluntly, but I will say it bluntly. Your life doesn't matter. Your life doesn't matter. Like ants, beings, whatever, whatever purposeless being you want to think of, where it just looks like they just, Lemmings dropping off a cliff, however you want to think of it. Because you just you're just here and then you're gone. And everybody forgets about you. Generations and generations and generations have been on this planet and are gone from this planet, and they don't matter because they did not live for the glory and for the purpose of God. And it, that's hard to hear. Because we know people and we love them and so forth. But even if you know somebody, I know my father, I know my grandfather, I couldn't tell you the name of my grandfather's father. I don't even know his name. I've been told his name. But it doesn't matter to me. I know he had a really difficult time. I know he hung himself. That's all I got. And we never talked about it. So as far as impact on me, none. And before that, no idea. None. That's because he came and they went. And the only thing that matters, the only thing that's still there, if it's from them that holds weight, is that they, if they follow Christ and they were served Christ or whatever, I know this, I know my grandfather, my father's father, was a faithful believer in Christ and went to church and was a deacon and faithful in his church. I know my father was a faithful person in Christ and went to church and was a deacon and so forth and, and served and made sure we all went to church, made sure we all heard the gospel, we all did hear the gospel, we were saved through the gospel, and we will spend eternity together. I'll have all eternity to get to know all the people before me who did the exact same thing. But if they did not follow Jesus, if they did not invest their lives in Christ, if they did not know his word and follow his word, then they are gone and I will never know who they are. I will never know anything about them. It is just gone. And all I'm saying, all I can do for you is to say, which one of those, who do you want to be? So your life depends on you understanding God's word and you following it. But a word about persecution. This was from a book called Called to Suffering, Called to Triumph. I'm a big fan of Brother Andrew, but... You may or may not know him. Two years ago, uh, he gives a story. Two years ago, in Ermelo Holland, Brother Andrew told the story of sitting in Budapest, Hungary, with a dozen pastors of that city teaching them from the Bible. In walked an old friend, a pastor from Romania, who had recently been released from prison. Brother Andrew said that he stopped teaching and knew that it was time to listen. After a long pause, the Romanian pastor said, Andrew, are there any pastors in prison in Holland? No, he replied. Why not, the pastor asked. 
Brother Andrew thought for a moment and said, I think it must be because we do not take advantage of all the opportunities God gives us. Then came the most difficult question. Andrew, what do you do with 2 Timothy 3.12? Brother Andrew opened his Bible and turned to the text and read aloud, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He closed the Bible slowly and said, Brother, please forgive me. We do nothing with that verse. These are dangerous times. Dangerous times. And when I say that, I mean, this is a time when you speak out for your faith, you can lose your job. It didn't used, used to, we'd say maybe it would be like that. But now, it's a given. You can lose your job. You can lose your societal standing. You can be publicly humiliated. We talk about this cancel culture, whatever. We are, this isn't a, a theoretical thing anymore. This is becoming a real thing. And if not here, somewhere in the world, it has always been this way. And now we're just kind of feeling it more here. Generation, generation. Again, so why are you saying things that scare us or put fear in us? If it puts fear in you or scares you, just remember that fear is the enemy of faith. Anything that we talk about or read in his words, when we read his word and look at his word and look what his word says, if it evokes fear, then that's just the word, the Holy Spirit saying, your faith is not where it needs to be. Just digest that for a second. Because these are dangerous times. And I am so grateful for my Sunday school teacher in this little church of 14 people that I grew up in, for just teaching me Bible stories. Because the story of David and Goliath, and I'm amazed when I go to churches and places and talk to meet new people, especially in youth groups, and say, does everybody here know the story of David and Goliath? And there are people who are like, I've never heard of David and Goliath. When I would do new members classes and so forth at different churches, I'd say, hey, does everybody know the story of David and Goliath? And there would always be somebody that says, I, I'm not really familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Because and, I, I can't think of a more basic Bible story than David and Goliath, yet understand there are billions of people on this planet who do not know who David and Goliath are. We take these things for granted and like all oh, these are... But, but this is not just a story for... To know the details of, and I know a lot of details about the story of David and Goliath, and I know a lot of things about it, and we could talk about it for hours. But here's the thing. I knew there was a young man who put his faith in God when the entire nation of Israel was afraid to go into battle against the Philistines and afraid to face that warrior. A young man, just with idealistic faith, believing in the power of God, didn't put any armor on, just went out there and was willing to take on this giant... Because he believed in a bigger God. And that truth, that God is bigger than anybody, anything we will ever face, and when God wants us to accomplish something, we cast our all into him and we trust him and put our faith in him, that God will give us the victory. That truth, that God gives the victory, that applies everywhere in life. And so when you go out into life, when you grow up and you're in high school and you face those bullies of high school and so forth and, and you're going through different things. And I was bullied in high school, more in grade school and middle school, but very bullied in middle school. I grew in high school. I was very short in middle school. I was five feet tall and weighed 75 to 80 pounds by the time I got to eighth grade. I was a little tiny guy. And just just a little aside, I drew a mark on my door and said, God, I want to be that tall. And God made me that tall. And I'm forever after, I said, why didn't I get on a stepladder or something, make the mark higher because I wanted to be taller. But I remembered the truth of David and Goliath. I remembered the truth of, of Jonah. I remembered the truth of... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I remember the truths of all the things of God's word, the stories that were told to me by my Sunday school teacher there. Those were the things that sustained me in difficult times because I remember truths that were instilled in me as a child. If you did not have those things instilled to, 
to you as a child. It's like learning a language when you go to another country as an adult. It's harder, but you still need to learn it. It's still imperative for you to understand those truths in order to be able to function the way God means for you to function in dangerous, difficult times. Look in verse 13. It says, Evil people and impostors will become worse deceiving and being deceived. Say, this was Paul saying this 2,000 years ago. It's still true today. The evil that you and I are seeing, it's not getting going to get better. It's always going to get worse. It's always going to... There's going to be people deceiving you and being deceived. I, social media does not shock me. People believing social media is what shocks me. That you read things and go, oh my goodness, can you believe people say that? Can you believe people do that? Can you believe this is happening? Yes. It, we were told it was going to happen. It's always happened. When people come in and say, can you believe what's happening in Portland? Can you believe what's happening in Chicago? Can you believe what? Yes, I can believe it. It's always happened. It will always happen. There are evil people. There are imposters. They will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. People are being deceived. You are being deceived. I am being deceived. Always. He says, but as for you... Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. That means whatever you were taught, now's the time to remember what you were taught. Everybody else around you may be reacting in a way that is incorrect and wrong. That is what, if you go back to David and Goliath, when David showed up, everybody around him was responding to the situation incorrectly. But David held on to the truth. And responded in a way that was pleasing and glorifying to God. So you may show up in a situation at work and everybody's saying, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. You, if you've been trained in the Word, if you've been in Bible studies, if you've been, this is where you go back and say, this is what the Word says. This is what we are supposed to do. And whether anybody else does it or not, you do it. He says, you know those who have taught you. And you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Just keep doing what you know to do. And friends, if you do not know the word, then you absolutely need to be involved in Bible studies. You should be ringing my phone off the hook. You should be, that one an ancient reference, ringing my phone off the hook like we have phones on hooks anymore. You should be calling me, texting me, emailing me, saying, Pastor, I want to be a part of a Bible study. I need to learn more about the word. I need to know more. I need to know more. I need to know more. Because I don't have a basic foundational understanding of God's word. I don't know what to do. And so that, that's absolutely fine. And for those of you who have been in Bible studies forever, here's an, it's just an admonition. I can't help but give this to you. You should be teaching other people. Start a Bible study in your home. Start a Bible study online. Start a Bible study. Send text messages to a friend teaching them little things. See if they know basic stories. Teach your grandchildren. Teach your grandchildren's friends. Teach your children. Find people who are willing to listen and learn and say, have you ever heard this story? Do you ever know this about the Bible? Do you ever read this in God's Word? You learn it and take what you've learned and share it with others. Don't assume they know what it is. Teach them what it is. And what you know, you continue in that and lean on what you believe, not on what people are saying around you. Not on the conventional wisdom of the world. Not on the, the things that you're seeing. Do not be listening to television. Do not be reading books produced by the world to gain wisdom and insight. And don't worry. because Of course the world is going to say you're wrong. Of course the world is going to say you're crazy. They put Paul in prison. They put Timothy in prison for saying the things that they said. Why are they not putting us in prison? And sometimes I think it's because we're afraid to speak boldly. The truth is our country hasn't gotten to this place yet. But we're afraid to go to countries 
where we could go to prison and share the truth. And why are we afraid of that? Because well, we don't want to go to prison. But going to prison is irrelevant. We have a mission. And we need to be people on mission. In the movie Jerry Maguire, and don't rent it or watch it. I'm, this is a, the TBS version or whatever if you see it on TV. This just, in fact, you can just get this clip. There's a scene between him and it's just a well-known scene where he, he gives a speech or whatever and he tells Renee Zellweger, you know, you complete me. And she says, you have me at hello. Those are just well-known iconic lines. But I always think of that when I think of the need I have to be complete. This is something I say to Kim jokingly from time to time. You complete me. And she does. She's at work today, but I really like Kim. I don't know if you know that or not. She's really, she's sweet. But if you go beyond my wife, and we are, we are, we are one flesh. Is just I, I, I know absolutely. I believe in complementarianism. I believe God put us together because we need together. We are what He wants us to be. But He is the engineer behind that. He is the one who is actually completing me. He is the one who is making me, sustaining me, designed me the way I am, designed her the way she is, designed us to fit together. He completes me. And He completes you. Look in verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete Equipped for every good work. Be equipped for every good work. This is the purpose for Bible study. You have a mission given to you by God. You may or may not go to jail for it. In China, in Bible studies, part of Bible study training in China is how to survive prison. Because you are gonna, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. If you're going to study God's word and be faithful to do God's word and proclaim the gospel, you're going to wind up in jail. They know this. So they train their people how to survive in jail. That's part of your Bible study training. But here's the thing. We're not there yet here. But we're going to get there. It has to happen. It has to happen. You do know that, right? You do know that we have to get to the place where we're persecuted. Because the world is not going to get better. It's going to continue to rebel against God, rebel against Christ, rebel against His teachings. It's, it's going to hate what we have to say. Some people are going to embrace it and other people are going to reject it. It has to happen. This is a takeover. This is a battle for who is the strongest. Now it's not flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. There are rulers, spiritual forces in play that control this dominion. And they do not want to give it up. And we are coming to take it from them. I came to Jackson, Missouri to lead this church to take dominion of this geographical location so that the church defeats resoundingly every enemy and adversary that's opposed to it. When this church begins to conquer that which is in control of the enemy, the enemy will rise up and attack this church. We go to Bible study to learn how to survive that onslaught and how to win. How to win. How to survive. Our, how, to, how to our families to survive. How, how, our, um, how we survive in our jobs. How we survive in our daily lives. How we survive emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally. All these things 
We do. Because we are going to have not only societal people. I mean, the Bible teaches us about plagues and wars and societal upheaval and natural disasters and then personal issues and my emotions, physical failings, spiritual trials, relationship problems. The Bible deals with all those things. So we come together. We we it says all scripture, it's inspired by God and it is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that you may be complete and equipped to do the good works that God has called you to do. Which is setting people from free from the bondage of darkness. You have friends, you know people, you work with people, you walk with people, you, you see people every day and they are trapped, they are in bondage to sin and they can't escape from it. And you... And I have the Word of God which can set them free. But we have to know it. That's why we study. So when you come to a Bible study, it should be, if you're not getting fed, if you're not getting the tools and equipping that you need, it's not a good Bible study. You need to, and you don't have time to waste in that. Say, I need something else. I need something. We need to get, learn how to apply this. So that's why we are going to create Bible studies that train you, that equip you, that prepare you to do it. And, and it will depend on where you are in life and what you need and where, where you are. And everybody's going to be different. A husband may need one Bible study and a wife may need another. That's why we have life groups where your families come together and everybody can socialize and meet and pray. But Bible study will be for the purpose of training and equipping. And here's what God is calling us to do today. Commit. Commit to follow Jesus. Just as Paul asked Timothy, do you follow me in my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, and endurance? Today you and I should commit to follow Jesus in his teaching. Commit to follow Jesus in his conduct. Commit to follow Jesus in his purpose. Commit to follow Jesus in his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance, along with persecutions. Jesus called out to us and said, You take your cross. Our leader, our king, was killed by this world, the world which we live in. And we follow him. And he told us. Told us we also would be killed by this world. If we were faithful to do follow him, they would turn on us. And they would persecute us. If you're trying to be loved by this world, you cannot follow Christ. He was not loved by this world. He was killed by it. And we will get the same exact treatment. <laughs> and here's the thing. Why would I do that? Why I, I came here to be loved by this world. I just I, I want to be accepted by the world. I just came here to kind of get, you know, some emotional stability. It's like, well, let me tell you, you're in the wrong place for that. The Bible is the most dangerous book in the world. People who follow the Bible, it divides homes. It divides nations. It, it comes, it's like a knife that comes and separates brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers from their children. Those are Jesus' words. And the reason is, is because if we don't, if we don't want to be in His kingdom, if a person doesn't want to serve Him for all eternity, I, I mean, it's like if I'm at peace with somebody, I'm at peace with my brother, and I'm working with him, and all is well, and I've done this, I've, and all is good, and we like the same jokes, and we like the same movies, and we're having a great time together, and and it's like I don't want to mess that up. We got such a good thing going, but the moment I say. I worship Jesus as my king. And he says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. Then I have a choice. Do I 
stay connected to my king or do I deny my king in order to have the connection with him? Any question comes out of my faith. Where do I do? What do I believe? If I believe that Jesus is my only hope for life, not just my only hope for life, but my friend's only hope for life, my family's only hope for life, everybody I know, their only hope for life, that I embrace Christ and I offer the gospel to my friend and he either accepts it or rejects it. And I know that that rejection, when people reject, that that hurts. But understand, this is what Jesus says to us. I know that feeling. I also have been rejected. But commit yourself to me, to my conduct, my purpose, my patience, my love, my endurance. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, for how great you are. And Lord, in this moment, Lord, may we be committed to you. May we commit to study your word, Lord, so that we can be faithful to what it is you've called us to do. Lord, this world is looking for a revolution. Lord, we are a part of a revolution that started 2,000 years ago to wrestle away the power of the prince of the power of the air, the dominions, the spiritual dominions all over this planet. Lord, we look in other countries and that are completely godless and the people who are oppressed by that godlessness Within our own country, Lord, the godlessness that controls so many. This is not a time for us to hide. This is not a time for us to ignore what your word says. It is a time to embrace your word, to study it, to show ourselves approved by it, to be strengthened by it. Father, may we commit ourselves today to know your word so that we might live it and Share it with the world that so desperately needs it. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me as we have a time invitation. And this is just an opportunity to commit. Commit to be faithful to his word. However God leads you to do that. You can do it right where you're saying. You can come to the altar and do it up here. But it is not a time to sit idly by. It is a time to say, I am going to know him.